Well, mothers, we're going to talk to you and about you a little bit later in today's message. But for now, let's just suffice it to say, you mothers have the tough job, a really tough job, of helping your children become the very best version of themselves. Wow. Other than Mother's Day occasion that we're coming up on, what a mouthful and where did that come from? We'll be circling back to the role of those called to be mothers. But to get us going today, we need to, well, just give me a minute. We're we're just going to back up for just a, a second here, okay? Recently, we started a brand new sermon series called Kingdom Builders. And the initial thoughts of this series were shared last week with you. Let me share with you just a couple of quick reminders. You might say previously on Kingdom Builders. Now, the basis of this series began with a set of questions. Let me go through just a couple of them to remind you. What is a kingdom builder? What does a kingdom builder build? How do they build? What is their individual role in building God's kingdom? And more importantly, just as importantly, well, it's critical. We all know why do kingdom builders build God's kingdom. Now, to lay the foundation of kingdom builders, we focused last week on this guiding summary. Hopefully, this will sound familiar to you. As we think seriously about where we are today, it's fair to say that we have things to repair, we have things to renew, we have places to rebuild in order to effectively and faithfully, one, rethink, and two, Allow God to rekindle in us and recreate what God is calling us to do at Yuma First. Indeed, as we claim our role as kingdom builders, there are obviously essential considerations to living the resurrected Easter life that God fully expects of us. Whoa, wait a minute. You mean God fully expects me to be a kingdom builder? Yep, God does. You mean I have an actual role in building God's kingdom? Yep, you do. Today's reading is from the book of Acts, chapter 1. In the first book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus did and taught from the beginning until the day when he was taken up to heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. After his suffering, he presented himself alive to them by many convincing proofs, appearing to them during forty days and speaking to them about the kingdom of God. While staying with them, he ordered them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait there for the promise of the Father. This, he said, is what you have heard from me. For John baptized with water but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, is this the time when you will restore the kingdom to Israel? He replied to them, It is not for you to know the times or the periods that the Father has set by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. When he had said this, as they were watching, 
he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. While he was going and they were gazing up toward heaven, suddenly two men in white robes stood by them. They said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking up toward heaven? This Jesus who has been taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Then they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey away. When they had entered the city, they went to the room upstairs where they were staying. Peter and John and James, sons of Zebedee, and Andrew, Philip, and Thomas, Bartholomew, and Matthew, James, son of Alphaeus, and Simon the Zealot, and Judas, son of James. All these were constantly devoting themselves to prayer, together with certain women, including Mary, the mother of Jesus, as well as his brothers. So ends the scripture reading for this Mother's Day. Thanks be to God is our response. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be truly acceptable to you, O God, our rock, our strength, our comfort, and our Redeemer. Amen. Well, I was reading the other day that the human brain is referred to often as a connection maker. That we naturally bring our own bias to stories looking for meaning. And as I was thinking this week about the Kingdom Builders sermon series, that is exactly what I did with these opening verses from the book of Acts written by Luke. So as we come to reflect on the very early stages of the disciples coming together, as noted here by Luke, what features of this story connect with who we are today? Okay, first of all, what we're looking at here is early. I mean, it's really, really early in the life of the church. In fact, I'm thinking Jesus' carefully chosen, hand-picked followers are probably still in shock, trying desperately to understand what just happened to their exciting new endeavors. And even scarier, what on earth were they going to do now without Jesus and his power without Jesus and his authority and his God-given abilities to heal people, to perform miracles, to care for all people in need, and to just basically change the world around him every moment. You know, I think they remembered what Jesus had taught them, and I think they clearly had heard from Jesus that they were to be God's kingdom builders. But listen, we all know what genuine shock does to the human body. They must have felt paralyzed, like floating dead in the water. What changed? Well, you scholars and church historians know the realization, the strength, and the required tools were gifts to them with the coming of the Holy Spirit into their lives. In fact, listen, you will receive power from on high just a few days from now when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Well, I think by now, they already had the desire to develop the faith community Jesus had told them they must build. But they had to have been scared to death at this point in the story. Because having desire and having the tools to get the job done, well, we know those are two different things. 
Let's look for a moment at the cast of characters Luke mentions here. And then, just for a moment, we're going to discuss for a moment some of their individual roles in the bigger picture. Luke says it something like this. Peter and John and James, Andrew and Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James, son of Alphaeus, and Simon the Zealot, and Judas, son of James. All these were constantly devoting themselves to prayer with certain women, including Mary, the mother of Jesus, as well as his brothers. Well, there you have it. A ragtag group of country pilgrims trained to fish, carry water, and perform a laundry list of simple daily chores, and really not much more. And as we shall see, this band of characters were carefully handpicked by Jesus simply because of who they already were, and they were carefully chosen for the roles for the roles they would someday fulfill as God's kingdom builders. Well, what do we know about any of these individuals? And why on earth did Jesus choose them specifically for the persons they already were? Well, a lot of us know about Simon Peter. Peter was a protector, provider. Peter was kind of a safety guy, an organizer. He was cautious. Peter wore his emotions on his sleeve. There was James, son of Zebedee. James was dedicated, gentle, soft-spoken. There are indications that James was kind of sickly, a little bit sickly and kind of puny, but he was somebody you could count on to be there. There was John, the beloved, serious, deep-thinking, thoughtful. John, the, the beloved, we refer to him as the Apostle John, who wrote the Gospel and wrote the letters by John and also the book of Revelation. John was a very theological thinker. He was observant of relationships being nurtured and built. John was very wise and had knowledge of the Hebrew scriptures, especially the Torah, and especially the book of Genesis. Andrew. Andrew was honest. Andrew was young and inquisitive, trusting and hopeful. Andrew was willing to make to take chances. Then there was Philip. Philip was the significant link to the life and ministry of John the Baptizer. Philip, most people don't know. He was a scholar. He was a student of the scriptures, and he was a faithful, steadfast missionary. Matthew. Matthew was like Mr. Detail. Some believe Matthew was logical to a fault, very observant. He loved to keep records. He earnestly wanted to learn and understand, but Matthew struggled to believe something without empirical evidence to back it up. There was Thomas. Many refer to Thomas as just simply doubting Thomas, and they kind of they kind of color his personality immediately. Thomas was pensive, reserved, cautious. He was a bit reluctant. Some people believe Thomas had a somewhat narrow vision, yet also Thomas had high expectations both of himself and of others. He had high expectations 
of Jesus, the Messiah. Then there was Mary, the mother of Jesus. Mary was dedicated, thoughtful, caring. She was gentle, loving, and nurturing. She was always ready to care for her little boy Jesus when he would let her mother him. Yes, each and every disciple was carefully handpicked by Jesus of Nazareth to be the best version of themselves, and really nothing more. Well, by now, you may have figured out that this week, we're taking a much closer look at probably the number one question for most people I know when considering the notion of being a kingdom builder. And here it is. What exactly is my role as a kingdom builder? Well, what if I told you today that your role in building God's kingdom is very simple? Your role is to be the best version of yourself. Yeah, your role is to be the best version of yourself, to be the person God made you to be. Well, somebody's already told me I better explain that one. So let me share with you a very common experience in the church, and then I'm going to wrap up this message with a few things that I've learned over the years. First of all, by far, most people I know think that pastors and clergy persons are especially chosen, especially empowered, and especially equipped as kingdom builders. And many of those same people usually think that God has invited them along for a free and an easy ride, although they wouldn't say it to you like that. Maybe God has just provided a opportunity for them to buy a reoccurring Sunday morning ticket to a local stairway to heaven. You know, perform your due diligence, send in, send in your tithes and offerings to the Foothills Bank of Yuma, and hold on tight. Is that it? Uh, no. We all know that's only a start. You, my friends, all of us have a specific role just like the disciples did in building God's kingdom. Okay, time out. Where is all this talk about each of us having a role to play really headed? Okay? Well, recently, Wendy and I started watching The Chosen. The Chosen is a TV series about the life and ministry of Jesus. It is by far what Wendy and I believe to be the most genuine, authentic, and down-to-earth depiction of Jesus. But very focused and very pointedly, though, The Chosen is the very best and most complete presentation of the talents, skills, gifts, and personality traits that eventually carved out the roles of each individual disciple in building God's kingdom. Jesus repeatedly points out in this series I just referred to exactly why he chose individuals to follow him and to be transformed into the kingdom builder that he had called and empowered them to be. This, friends, is the main focus of the TV series, The Chosen. Well, only a few days ago, we watched a 30-minute kind of a documentary-type video where the director of The Chosen is interviewing Jonathan Rumi. Jonathan is the actor who plays Jesus in the series. And he was asked a very interesting, well, he was asked a lot of interesting questions by the director. But this, in my mind, is the most poignant. 
And here it goes. How do you do it, really? I mean, here you are, both God and just a man, all at the same time. All while you're playing Jesus. I mean, what is your thought process? I can imagine how you would act like a man, but how do you act like God? What goes through your mind as an actor? And this is what Jonathan said. Yeah, I get what you're saying. How could I, how could I or anyone ever understand how God thinks or even pretend to be God? So I look at it this way. As an actor, and more importantly, as a faithful follower of Jesus, what God wants and what God expects from me is simply to be the best version of myself. So that's what I do. I simply give to God the best version of myself every moment that I possibly can. I simply do the very best I can to be the person God already made me to be. Well, practically speaking, Jonathan's Jonathan's words here are so very true in everyday life. I mean, I can remember as a pastor years ago when there was a job that needed to be done in the church. Well, I hate to put it this way, but it was pretty close. I would look for a warm body and then twist their arm to convince them they needed to do the job. And it usually worked, but it was only effective for a short short term, because eventually, in many cases, the position was just not in their wheelhouse, and they were really not gifted, nor were they suited to that specific job. It turns out they reluctantly agreed, knowing that the job that needed to be done would eventually reveal in them tension and frustration, rather than allowing them to be the best version of themselves. I admit it, I'm guilty of allowing that to happen time and time again until I finally realized I had had it all backwards. It was a major turning point, actually, in my leadership style as a pastor, my role. I finally began to observe and notice what people were already gifted at, along with the kinds of things that already brought joy to their hearts. Then I began to create roles for them in the church. Roles for them so that they could they could use their already God-given gifts, so that they could already use the talents that God had given them to be kingdom builders. And I knew what was happening before me was actually a God thing. It wasn't really anything I did. But what I didn't realize until fairly recently, that all along, over these many years, God has been empowering people to be the very best version of themselves. When we do what God calls us to do, when we use the gifts that God has already given us, our talents, the personality traits that God has already given us, we're simply called to be the best version of ourselves, and I believe that. Finally, on this Mother's Day, we honor and we remember that whether it has ever actually been articulated or not, moms, your ongoing job in life has always been to teach and empower your children to be the very best version of themselves, to grow up into a responsible, loving, authentic, faith-filled follower of Jesus. And I must admit, because I want to admit it, okay, I was fortunate to have a mom that always wanted the best for me. 
and for me to be on my best behavior. For me to be the best version of myself, you might say. Well, many years ago, I realized these powerful words of Jesus are fitting for days like Mother's Day. I'm sharing an image, a very loving and endearing image with you today from John, the Gospel of John, chapter 15. Jesus said to his disciples and friends, I am the true vine and my father is the vine grower. He removes every branch in me that bears no fruit. Every branch that bears fruit, he prunes to make it bear more fruit. You have already been cleansed by the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me as I abide in you. Just as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Those who abide in me and I in them bear much fruit, because apart from me you can do nothing. Whoever does not abide in me is thrown away like a branch and withers. Such branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. So if you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ask for whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. My Father is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit and become my disciples. You did not choose me but I chose you, and I appointed you to go and bear fruit, fruit that will last so that the Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. I am giving you these commands so that you may love one another. So ends the reading from the Gospel of John. Jesus continues to make it pretty clear. A healthy, wholesome, well cared for vine produces the best fruit. A healthy, wholesome, well cared for vine produces the best version of fruits, right? Friends, we know that God has a plan, God has a purpose, and God has a beautiful future ready and waiting for you to be the best version of yourself. So what if I told you again, your role in building God's kingdom is not to be somebody you're not? But simply, your role is to be the best version of yourself. Hey, everybody knows that that at a campfire gathering, a campfire gathering needs what I would call kumbaya people. Kumbaya people are needed to effectively and lovingly model how to build and nurture loving, caring relationships. They're needed there to help teach and lead lead singing, to hug, to dream, to laugh, to be silly, and to love no matter what. But every campfire gathering also needs someone observant of empirical evidence. Do more logs need to be cut? Is the fire getting too big? Is there a bucket of water close by in case the fire spreads? Is that chair going to collapse? Will people be safe? Or are they getting too close to the fire? Indeed, campfire gatherings need the Peters of the world to stand guard, 
to be there poised and ready with a fire extinguisher in their hand. Yes, always ready to provide, serve, and to protect. Yup. We know this, friends. It takes all kinds to make the world go around. So what's your role as a kingdom builder? Well, I think it's pretty simple. Your role is to be the best version of yourself. Amen.